This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. In Metro Seeks Atlanta. to be defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hey, good morning, Icon family. Uh, this is John Thompson, uh, pastor of Kainos Church. Uh, man, it's so great to be with you guys. Uh, to be honest, when uh, Jen and, and Daryl asked me to come, I was a little bit excited and a little disappointed because I miss seeing you. Even being in this room, it feels empty. There are so many faces that I wish I could see, so many people I wish I could hug and be around. Uh, but man, I am grateful that we get to be together in this way. Uh, this series as a bystander or an outsider, has reminded me that we worship a God who's not bound by space or time. And so just as we are not together, yet we know that God is with us wherever we are. He is just as present with you, where you are watching this as he is with us in this room. And so it is a gift to be with you. Uh, And I'm super excited that we have a chance to break open God's word together. Uh, We're going to continue the series that you've been in on the attributes of God. And in doing that, I I just want to remind us a little bit about where we've been. Uh, The last several weeks, we've been trying to answer the question, who is God? What is he like? Um, What is his character? How how can we describe him? How can we know God? Is God even knowable, right? And along the journey, we've been able to look at so many different facets of God's character and his nature. We've talked about God's holiness. Uh, We've talked about how God is Yahweh. He is the I am. We've talked about how God is a God of peace and his shalom. We've talked about his covenantal love and his jealousy. Um, And throughout our series, as we've leaned in and tried to wrap our heads and our hearts around God himself, uh, one of the things that I think we've probably all come to the conclusion of is that this is really impossible. Uh, How do we as finite beings come to understand an infinite God? And yet at the same time, what's really beautiful is that I believe God has met with us in a special way and that he's been able to help us see and experience more of his goodness and be able to learn more about who he is and who he's called us to be. This morning, we're gonna continue by looking at the idea of God's forgiveness, that God is a forgiving God. And there's so much that could be said about this particular topic that to be honest with you, I cannot cover it in one sermon. One sermon will not do this justice. And so my hope is that as, if you think about a diamond, how there's many facets to a diamond, uh, my hope is that the diamond of God's forgiveness, we could just look at one facet of that together, and that maybe in that we might be able to experience uh, more of who God is calling us to be as his people. Uh, one of the things that I want us to see from the outset uh, with forgiveness is that like so many of God's attributes, forgiveness is both a declaration and it's an invitation. Uh, God is a God of forgiveness. It, it is who he is. It's part of his character. It's part of his nature. It's part of his desire. God does forgive. We, we are When we say that We worship a God who forgives. We are declaring something that is true, not based on us, but based on who he is. At the same time, to say that God is a God of forgiveness is also an invitation. Uh, It's an invitation because not only is God a God who forgives, but he's also one who invites us, uh, all who will turn to him, to experience the forgiveness that he offers. God is holy. He is high. He is lifted up. He is just and he is righteous. We know that God cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. It's not possible for him. And that's where we have a problem because you and I are born in sin. 
which means we are born separated from him. And so without the invitation of God to experience his forgiveness, we cannot be in his presence. But thanks be to God that he offers us himself, that that in his forgiveness, he invites us into experience the flourishing life that we were all created for. And yet when we turn to him, one of the things that we realize is that God meets us where we are, and yet he is not content to leave us where we are. That we have a God who not just uh, uh, saves us from our sin, but he begins to liberate us and free us from the sin in our life. And one day, he will free us from the presence of sin altogether. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at our text. We're going to, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the book of First John chapter 2. And, and I'd like to talk to us this morning from the subject of forgiven, not forgotten. Forgiven, not forgotten. First John 2, beginning in verse 1, John says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever says, I know him, Uh, excuse me, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we know that we're in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we read your word, we know that your word is also reading us. God, that your word is alive, that it is sharp, that it is active, that it has the ability, Lord, to pierce through our hearts. And Father, this morning, I pray that the the seed of your word would fall on good soil in us. I pray, Father, that that no matter where we are, God, that you you would help us to listen for your voice. Lord, we live in a noisy world. Our lives are filled with brokenness and pain and trouble. God, our our lives are filled with much joy and, and our lives are filled with busyness. And often it is just so hard to hear you. And my prayer, Father, is that this morning you would help us to hear you above the noise. God, that no matter uh, what's going on, that, that we, you might allow us to set aside just a few moments together, that you would speak to us through your word. Father, that you would change us through your word, that you would encourage us, that you would spur us forward as your children. God, I pray that you would uh, continue to do your work through our time. And we commend our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2015, I was driving in South Atlanta, uh, and I got pulled over by a police officer. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, and the guy comes up to my window, and it turns out I have an expired tag. Apparently, that's a problem in Georgia, uh, because according to the law, they can impound your vehicle on the spot and force you to catch a ride somewhere else. And so I'm sitting here on the side of the road. Uh, multiple car cop, uh, cop cars are coming up now, and I'm trying to figure out, is this guy going to impound my car? What is he going to do? Uh, it turns out, um, he chose to be gracious to me and give me a ticket, but a ticket in which I had to go to court. Couldn't just pay it online. So I show up to court a few months later, and as I'm sitting there waiting for my docket to be read and my name to be called to stand in front of the judge, I'm just watching the courtroom. And there are all types of things happening there. There's there's people who, who are there for speeding tickets and minor traffic offenses like mine. There are people there who are waiting for an arraignment or who need uh, to have their case read aloud. There are people who are just there as spectators, uh, looking to see what's happening within the court system. But one situation in particular that stands out to me, even this many years later, 
is a woman who, who was brought before the judge uh, on a first-time drug violation. And the judge read off the list of charges to her and said uh, to her, ma'am, I understand that you want to represent yourself. Is that correct? And the woman said, yes. And, and the judge said to her, well, ma'am, you know, we have a free attorney who's right over there. Uh, the, the court will provide that for you. All you have to do is just go take a seat with him and, and he can help you figure out how to navigate this. You don't have to do that alone. And the woman said, no, I don't want that. I'm going to represent myself. And the judge again says, ma'am, are you really sure? Because, you know, we provide this as a service for you. And, and we would really love for you to be able to take advantage of that. Uh, if you just take a step over here, you can sit down with an attorney and then you can come back uh, once you've been able to meet with your attorney. And the woman says no. And the third time the judge offers, hey, would you, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? You're facing some pretty serious charges. And the woman said, no, what's the point? It doesn't matter. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and represent myself. So the judge takes a minute, she flips through her documents, she turns to the court reporter and says a few things, and then she drops the hammer on her. She sentences her and gives her the maximum amount of penalty, and the woman is carted off, and that's it. And I'm sitting there waiting for my number to be called up thinking, okay, if this is a foreshadow, if this is a taste of what's to come, I'm in trouble. That is a seemingly disconnected story from our text, and yet I think it, con it convenes like the essence of what God is trying to communicate to us through John's words. John says, my little children, he's so pastoral, he's so loving, he's so fatherly. He says, I'm writing these things to you. What things is he referring to? He, he's referring to the last five verses of the previous chapter. What he's doing is he's connecting the two ideas. He is, he's giving us an equal sign. He's saying the things that I just covered with you in the last five verses of chapter one I'm now hinging those to what I'm going to say to you in the next six verses of chapter two. John is giving us the purpose for what's about to come. He's writing to the church, he says, so that they will not sin. Not sin and being misled about who Jesus is, about accepting false teaching about sin, because one of the things that John is addressing in his, his letter is how false teachers have crept into the church and are leading people astray. These were people that were walking with them that left and come, have come back. And now that they are back, they're teaching things like that Jesus really isn't God, that he really can't be God and man, uh, that there's no connection between your personal life and your sin life and, and what's your eternity or what your eternal destiny is. They're teaching that there's a disembodiment between what we do here on earth and what comes in the life after. And John says to them, I I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. But if, he says, and depending on your translation, it may say, and if, uh, the Greek is more literal to say, and should you, or perhaps when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate is a legal term. It means one who speaks to the Father on our behalf in our defense. And now we can't really miss this because this word is the same word that is used elsewhere to describe the Holy Spirit. And what John is telling us here is something really quite remarkable. He, he's saying that Jesus is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is our advocate, the paraclete, uh, our intercessor, uh, the one who covers us in prayer. Uh, Jesus has advocated for us on the cross, yes, and he's paid for our sin, absolutely. But what John is saying is that not is Jesus just uh, paid for our sin as a one-time sacrificial act, but indeed Jesus is still advocating for us even now. He says, that, the, that before the Father, Jesus is advocating for us in this very hour. He is the righteous one. It is his title. It's his nature. He is the righteous branch. He's the root of Jesse. 
He's the holy and righteous one the prophets foretold about. And he is our savior. He is our advocate. But notice what John does in verse two. He doubles down. He says, not only is he our advocate, but he is the propitiation for our sins. A big fancy word that simply means he turns away God's wrath. He, he, he takes God's wrath on him and shields us from experiencing God's wrath ourselves. He has paid the debt that we owe. And not just ours, he says, but also the whole world. See, what John is wanting us to do in these very first two verses is he's wanting us to trust the work of Christ on our behalf. He's saying we have an advocate with the Father. And to have an advocate means or implies that we have a need for advocating. We have a need to be advocated for. It means that we have done something wrong, that there is something in us that separates us from God. And rather than God leaving us separated from himself, instead he chooses to enter into our situation. Jesus moves in, he incarnates himself, and he takes uh, the sin that we owe and he, he pays for it on our behalf. John wants us to trust in Jesus' work, but he also wants us to know that we know that we trust in that. Notice what he says in verse three. He says, um, and by this we know that we have come to know him. John is giving us a litmus test for how we know that we are in Christ. He gives us this statement of assurance. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know. By this we know that we know, that we keep his commandments, that we obey him, that we guard his word to us in our lives and in our hearts. John is saying, uh, if you want to know whether or not Christ is your advocate, here's a litmus test for you. Do you walk with him? Do you obey him? Do you keep his commandments? See, what he's doing is he's actually helping us answer the question, how do I know I'm in the faith? How can I be sure that I'm actually his? How can I know that I have the forgiveness that God offers? How can I know it's really mine? And the answer is really quite simple, that I obey him. Faith and obedience are conjoined twins. They are connected at the head and the heart. They are two sides to the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And what's interesting is John not only tells us about the finished work of Jesus, and he not only wants us to have this assurance, and he, he, but he really cuts to the chase for us in verse four. He says, if you say that you know him, but you don't obey him, then you don't know him. What John is not saying is that if you have some sin in your life, you're not a follower. We know that. But what he is saying is that if you have no mark or desire to follow the Lord, if, if your life is not marked by some form of continual or consistent a desire to walk with Jesus, then you might want to ask yourself the question, do I know him? Because if, if you say that you know God, but you continually, consistently, habitually have no desire or attempt to be obedient, then we have to ask ourselves the question, do we really know him? And this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because though John is loving and he's pastoral, though he's fatherly, he is also deeply concerned about truth. And the truth is, if there is no mark or desire for obedience, then you don't know him. You may serve well in church. You may live generously. You might give a lot of money. Uh, you might serve on a mission trip or you might be have a prominent role within the church, but that's not the mark of obedience. That's not the mark necessarily of faith. John is saying that if we, if we want to know if we know him, we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing at trying to following him? Notice I said trying because none of us can do it perfectly. And John seems to know that. He says, it, 
I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. But when you do, know that you have an advocate. Know that you have one who is speaking on your behalf. You see, the, the reality is we are shame, uh, sin, uh, sinful and broken, but that's not meant to drown us with shame. What it's meant to do is meant to turn us to Jesus where we find one who took our shame on him himself and has freed us and liberated us from the shame that sin brings to us. John wants us to learn to abide in him. In verse five, he says, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this, we know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, the love of God is perfected in us as we obey, as we commune with God, as we spend time with him. And here's what's really interesting. In a COVID world where we are scattered and disconnected, I think many of us are wondering, has it ever been harder to commune with God? You would think that because we were not running around and doing some of the things that we normally do, we have more time, that we are freed up now to lean in with the Lord. And maybe, and maybe some of you have, but, but I, I myself have even felt the same tension of, man, I have more time on my hands and yet I feel more distracted, more tired. I'm prone to depression more quickly and more frustration. My patience isn't what it used to be. And why is that? It's because in this disconnected world that we are living in currently, there is a deep sense of longing for a community. See, one of the things that we often forget about when it comes to this idea of, of living as part of the Christian faith is that we, we are deeply connected to one another. And so in a COVID world where we are spread out, there are many things in which I'm sure that we are thriving in, and yet there's this part of us, even if we don't know it, that is missing out on what God has for us. John says, I want you to learn to not only trust in the work of Christ, not only do I want you to know that you know, but I want you to learn to abide. There's a symbiotic relationship and the way that the love of God perfects, perfected in us begins to perfect us. Because the more time we spend with the Lord, the more we know him and the more we love him and the more that we know him and begin to love him, the more uh, God use, uses that to help us to learn to love ourselves correctly and other people compassionately. He says, by this, we know that we're in him. He keeps repeating these phrases over and over and over again. My grandmother, she used to, she used to cross stitch. And one of the things that happens when you see someone knitting or, or crocheting or cross stitching is there's this kind of repetitive stitching in motion that keeps going back and forth, back and forth in order to make the bonds tighter, to make the strings uh, uh, tighter together, to make the fabric bonded more closely. And that's what John is doing for us right now. He is, he is sewing and stitching over and over and over again a strength, a, a fabric that cannot be easily broken. He wants us to see how it is we know that we're in him and that he wants to help us learn to walk as people who are in Jesus. He says, by this, we know that we're in him. He says, whoever abides in him, whoever remains, whoever stays in him, God, uh, God himself resides in or dwells in. And those people, John says, ought to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Literally, it says, Whoever abides or remains, he is obligated to walk like him. See, John is saying you can't claim to be abiding if you're not walking like Jesus. And again, Jesus is our advocate, right? He, his grace and his mercy are what allow us to walk differently. The Holy Spirit is our helper. But if we are in him, we are obligated not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. John wants us to trust him. He says, when you, when you sin, know you have an advocate. This is how you know him. Uh, that, you, that you're obeying him and following him. He wants us to be in Jesus, that, that uh, this is how you know that you're in him, that you're abiding and that you're remaining in him. And he wants us to walk like him. 
And here's the reality. I think if you, if you take a step back and think about that, the consistency that, that must be not only in our head and our hearts, but in how we live, it creates for us, particularly around the topic of forgiveness, quite a paradigm. Because see, often we want forgiveness more than we want to give it. And it's that paradox that leaves us confronting two realities. There's the forgiveness that we think we need. And then there's the forgiveness that we have. There's the forgiveness that we think we need. And there's the forgiveness that we have. If you and I were writing the story, we probably wouldn't write it the way Jesus does. You see, we think we need a forgiveness that simply excuses our behavior while at the same time offering us little freedom from the thing that causes or keep us, keeps us from acting that way. We think we need a forgiveness that is created after our own likeness and our own image, albeit with some sort of modifications, I'm sure. You recall the Pharisees, the Jewish religious elite, the ones who went about attacking Jesus throughout all of his ministry, the people who supposedly knew God the most, yet they were unwilling to offer forgiveness and love and compassion to those around them. They also believed in a forgiveness, but the forgiveness they wanted was not even close to the forgiveness that they were being offered. You see, the Pharisees only wanted a forgiveness that they could earn, that they could justify with their behavior, that they could find on their own merit. And we are no different. We want a forgiveness that fixes us and our situations uh, and abides, but one that abides by our rules and one that fulfills our vision. We are often not concerned with where we have fallen short as much as we are concerned with the shortfalls of other people. We want a cheap forgiveness, one that not only change, that just changes our circumstances rather than actually changing us. That's the forgiveness that we think we need. We think we just need someone to come in and to sort of excuse the way that we step all over people, the way that we use people, the way that we mistreat and abuse. We, we just want someone to gloss over that so that we can continue to operate the way we feel that we should be able to operate. That's the forgiveness we think we need. But that's not the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. There's a forgiveness that we have. And the forgiveness that we have looks nothing like the one that the world keeps pitching to us. We think that forgiveness overlooks flaws while not realizing that the forgiveness we have is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. You see, the gospel gives us the only one who can truly forgive us. The gospel shows us one who offers us springs of living water from which if we keep drinking, we will never thirst again because the gospel offers us God himself. You see, in Jesus, we have a God who is not detached from the pain of our experience, but one who shows us what righteousness and forgiveness looks like in the midst of it. In Jesus, we have a savior who calls us not to a cheap forgiveness, but to a full forgiveness, one that is all-encompassing. Jesus uh, gives us this opportunity to be really satisfied and to be filled. You remember that Jesus was hungry in the wilderness, so that you and I could be satisfied. Jesus was thirsty on the cross so that you and I could be filled. You see, the Lord offers us this opportunity to experience a true life, the good life, a flourishing life as his children. As Christians, we don't fight for victory, we fight from it. Sin and death have been defeated. The grave has been conquered. Real life is available to us in the here and now because Jesus is available. He is with us in the here and now. Forgiveness is available today because Jesus is here today. The Lord is offering us this opportunity. And you may be listening to this and trying to figure out, well, how does this all connect or why does this even matter? It matters because this is the human story that we find ourselves in. We are all in need of an advocate. We are all in need of forgiveness. 
Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't really matter. We all know what it's like to come up short. We all know what it's like to be broken. If you're a Christian listening, then you know well what I'm talking about because you know that you were born with a debt that you could never pay. Romans 3 tells us that, that all are born sinful. There's not one who is righteous. You know that the joy that comes from finding and receiving the forgiveness that God offers us, you know the joy of your salvation. You remember it well. The comfort that comes when God meets you in your brokenness and begins to make you whole. You can remember as a Christian the sense of his presence, even if you haven't felt it in a long time, the sense of what it felt like to to be wrapped around uh, uh, with the arms of Jesus and to be pulled in close to him, to experience not only uh, the forgiveness of your sin, but the, the, the life that he offers as his child. If you're a believer, you can recall the way God enters in even when you make mistakes. He doesn't leave you or abandon you, but yet he's with you. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, you have the same longing. You have a a, a desire, a longing to be embraced in your loneliness, to be seen when you feel invisible, to be heard when you feel silenced, to be celebrated and loved when you feel forgotten. You too have the desire to be free from the burden of your failures and your mistakes. You too find yourself daydreaming of a day when things will not be this way. You see, brothers and sisters, ultimately what this text teaches us is that in Christ, we are forgiven, we are not forgotten. We have an advocate with the Father, one who is standing by, constantly interceding on our behalf. There is no place which we are too far from him. That God sees you where you are, in the deepest valley or on the highest mountaintop, and he is there to meet with you then and there. In Exodus, it says that God used to meet with Moses face to face like a man meets with his friend. And though you and I are not Moses and perhaps we have not seen God's glory in that way, there's a beautiful illustration in that because what it reminds us is that God is near. Yes, he's high and lifted up, but he is near. He is deeply and personally involved. He is intimately involved with who we are and where we are. And so we respond to that. You see, we are faced with the reality of our need for this type of forgiveness, this type of savior, a forgiveness that is all-encompassing, A forgiveness that does not cast us aside because of our sin, but one that endures in the face of it. A forgiveness that cannot be destroyed, but one that perseveres. We are offered a forgiveness that is not based on our performance, but one that is based on the performance of another. This text makes us confront the fact that God continues to make a way. That though you and I are not as we should be, and we are not as we will be, yet God continually, graciously meets with us and teaches us to repent and to ask for forgiveness, even as he is teaching us to extend forgiveness to ourselves and to other people. We respond via this text to forgiveness himself. Jesus, the son of God, the one who offered his life freely so that all who believe in him would have life and have it to the full. And this is the truth we believe in. And this is the truth we have to keep coming back to. Jesus offers us more than our best life now. He offers love, forgiveness, and healing to anyone who would turn from their sin and turn to him. Jesus' advocacy was not just a one-time sacrificial act. It was that. It is that. He is our substitute. He is the propitiation for our sins. He turns God's wrath away from us. He has paid our debt. Yet he continues to advocate for us even now. Even in this very moment, it doesn't matter where you are. 
If you're a follower in Jesus, of Jesus and you're in Christ, the Lord is advocating for you so that when God looks at you in the deepest part of your mess, what he sees is his beloved son or daughter. This is the reality of what the scripture calls us to and invites us into. And we started in the courtroom and we'll end there. You know, I, I don't know what would have happened to the woman. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know what would have happened to her had she chosen to have a lawyer. Depending on where you're at with all of that, it could go either way, right? But here's what we know. Her situation reminds me, or should remind us, that we have a lawyer who not only defends us, but one who offers forgiveness and delivers us from the pain and the problems that are facing us. You see, I don't know what would have happened to her with her advocate, but what I do know is that we have an advocate and he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. He is the God of the universe who created all things. The one who tells lightning where to go. He tells the waves when to stop. He's the one who laid the foundations of the earth. He's the one who breathed life into your nostrils. He's the one who stitched you together in your mother's womb. That is the God we worship. And what I know about that God is he is an advocate who delivers his people from sin and from death. This is who we believe in. And this is who we trust. Now, the question before us is, can you imagine what it would look like if we believe this all the time? Because if we're honest, we know that with our heads. We even sense it in our hearts, but we live in a world where we are constantly pulled away from that reality, away from that truth. We struggle to give forgiveness. We struggle to be forgiven. We struggle to forgive ourselves. There are things in your life that you are holding on to, not because you haven't been delivered from them, but because you refuse to let go and accept what God is offering you. There are things in my life, mistakes that I've made, ways in which I've dropped the ball that are still hanging over my head, not because the Lord has not offered me forgiveness, but because I refuse to accept it. You see, brothers and sisters, what God is inviting us into is a life of freedom a life where we are not controlled by the world and a life where we are not bound by our sin. A life where we can learn to extend forgiveness even as we have been forgiven. Could you imagine with me what it would look like if we lived that way? How would your marriage be different? How would your friendship be different? How could our church be different? How could our community, our world be different if we as God's people were people who received forgiveness and gave it? What would it look like if we did not harbor bitterness and anger and resentment, but instead we turned that over to the Lord and walked in the freedom that he's given us through his son? So may God make us a people who remember that we have this type of forgiveness, that we have this type of advocate, one who doesn't grow tired or grow weary, one who is with us always, wherever we are, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. May we remember that we are a people with this type of hope. May we remember that we have not been forgotten that God is with us, that he is for us, he's not against us, and that he is leading us to be the people that he has called us to be. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Lord, um, this is such an interesting, heavy topic, honestly. There are so many things that could be said. We know that forgiveness, first and foremost, is the reality that you wiped away our sin and you choose not to remember it. And yet, Lord, Sometimes we can forget that we are in perpetual need of this. Not only for ourselves, but we are in perpetual need to continue to extend forgiveness 
where there is repentance. God, you have called us to be vessels of grace, to be your hands and feet in the world. And one of the ways, Lord, that we get to walk like you is by being a gracious people, by advocating for other people, by by using what we have for the sake of our brother or sister. One of the ways we get to be like you, Lord, according to this text, is that we get to abide in you. And as we abide in you, what flows out of us is your presence, your glory. So Father, I pray that no matter where we find ourselves uh, in listening to this, this, uh, this text, I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that you are with us. Sometimes, Lord, we can feel forgotten by you. Sometimes, Lord, we feel like the mess we've created is too big for you to deal with. Sometimes, Lord, we feel that you're not even interested. God, I pray that wherever we are in any of it, that you would meet us there, that you would remind us that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who is working all things out for our good and ultimately for your glory. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now let's receive this benediction together. It comes from the book of Jude. If you've been at Icon for a long time, I know you've heard it a lot, but this is a a favorite benediction of mine and uh, I thought it would serve us well. It comes from Jude 24 and it says this, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the appearance of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.